and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 657 of IGN's weekly PlayStation show. I'm joined this week by Lucy O'Brien. Hello, it's good to be back with good crazy, like crazier hair than before. I mean, that's, you know, give us a few more months and we'll all just look like um, Robin Williams after he comes out of the Jumanji board, probably. <laughs> uh, that's about what I'm expecting to look like by the end of this. Uh, and we're also joined this week by Tom Rogue Squadron Marks. That's the R that came to mind this morning when I was putting the run of show together. I know it's not your middle name, but that's what I chose. Hi, Tom. I feel like, I feel like if my parents actually gave <laughs> me that middle name, that would be like, that, that's some next level prescience that they've got going on. That would be very impressive. Uh, yep. I'd also want to talk to, I guess, was it level five who who made Rogue Squadron? Oh, don't test me on that. Don't don't yeah. put me on the spot like that. Don't <laughs> worry. We're, we're not going to be talking about that game on the show, of course, because we're here to talk about PlayStation games. And even though the uh, biggest gaming news this week is definitely going to be about the Xbox showcase coming later this week, we still have plenty of PlayStation news to talk about, so much so that my dog, who you may hear barking in the background, is very excited about. Uh, before we get into all the news to talk about, I did want to mention, uh, we did put up, uh, in addition to our normal episode last week, uh, a Ghost of Tsushima spoiler-free uh, impressions piece. Uh, so if you are jumping into that game uh, or you haven't jumped in yet and want to hear more about it, we didn't go into any spoilers about it, but you can hear all of our thoughts on it there. Uh, but we will be having a more spoiler-filled interview episode. We spoke with uh, Jason Cannell from Sucker Punch, who is the creative director and art director of that game. And he spoke to us uh, all in spoiler-filled ways about the really cool coming together of that game, the work that went into it, and some of the storytelling and gameplay stuff we loved in it. So definitely look forward to that episode. Uh, and also this week, if you're wondering why Max and Brian aren't here, it's because they are hard at work preparing for our Comic-Con live show. That is going to be this full, huge production on IGN.com. So even if you've never been able to attend Comic-Con, you can sort of attend this virtual Comic-Con. Loki, you can't attend. But you can attend uh, by watching at home and checking out a ton of coverage we have coming on IGN.com. So stay tuned for all of that stuff. He's so excited. He, he's just so <laughs> excited about it. He's He cannot wait for Comic-Con and for the treats that he thinks I'm withholding. Uh, fun fact, we actually did realize this week, Loki hates when either my girlfriend or I are talking to our computers. He thinks oh. we're, he thinks we're mm -hmm. ignoring him in some capacity. And so he has to bark at us to get our attention. Um, so with that, though, I am going to move into some of the news as it happens. Uh, and hopefully we only have minimal barking in the meantime. Uh, but the first thing I do want to jump into was the fact that we sort of saw our first hands-on with the DualSense, a controller that has been billed as a thing that you really need to get your hands on for yourself and feel how it changes gameplay. None of us got to do that, except for Jeff Keighley. He got to go hands-on with the DualSense and play Astro's Playroom, which is going to be built into the PS5. It's going to be on the system when you buy it, and you'll be able to jump in and play for yourselves. And it seems to be sort of a uh, test bed for what the DualSense will be able to do when it, when it comes to uh, feeling your games. Uh, if you've ever mocked me for saying a game makes you feel a certain way, apparently that's what the DualSense is all about. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Dono. I have... What? <laughs> It's a, it's, you know, don't worry about it. I'll explain it to you after the call. Um, but anyway, I wanted to mention, cause this was, I thought an interesting first 
showing option, I guess, for the dual sense. I don't know what you both thought, but at least having only one person tell me what they felt about how the dual sense feels wasn't maybe the like best test case for here's what actually this controller is going to do. Uh, Lucy, what did you think of this like first showing of the dual sense? Yeah, it was an interesting, interesting uh, way to go about it. I think so many people have said to us, you have to feel it for yourselves. You know, you have to experience it for yourselves. Obviously, that's uh, not something we can do. But uh, I think a, a variety of voices uh, having opinions about it would have gone a long way rather than just one guy's take. Uh, it's like, you know, it is, it is one of those things where obviously we're not going to experience it until we get our hands on it. But yeah, it was just an odd kind of, odd way to go about it, I thought. Especially at a time during the year when most likely a lot of us, if not at E3 at another Sony event or at uh, hands-on from third-party games at E3 and stuff, would have probably all been giving our thoughts on the DualSense uh, at this time. And I mean, totally. And, you know, amazing hustle from Keeley. Like, all yes. kudos to him. Like, that's amazing that he got that that get. It's just that, yeah, for, from my perspective, it didn't give me anywhere close to the level of uh, detail that I was after. Well, and it's also, it's important, like, that that matters with the dual sense. I think, having that varied perspective on it, just in this case more than a lot of other things, like controller hands-on Zed is, because, like, a lot of the promises it's making, and this isn't me saying it won't fulfill anything, but, like, or any of the things it's saying, but, like, a lot of the promises it's making are things we've heard elsewhere. Like, I think back, my mind immediately went back to, and I think I told you this, Jonathan, of, like, the when when they were first showing off the Nintendo Switch Joy-Con, and they were talking all about HD Rumble, and they were doing this example of, like, you can hold the Joy-Con and feel ice cubes in a glass and ch shake it, and you'll feel the ice cubes in it. And the, you had people being like, wow, it feels like there's ice cubes in this controller. And, like, then that was never really used in any sort of meaningful way on the Switch. And so, like, we're being told, not saying that the DualSense is just HD Rumble, I'm just saying, like, we've, we've heard similar promises before, and, like, it's really, really hard to take anything, any like, anybody is saying seriously about this until you fl play it yourself, let alone, like, one single voice. And so, like, yeah, I agree that, like, this isn't really the type of thing where I can see one person playing it and hear their thoughts and be like, okay, cool, I'm sold. You know, I, I still need to know a lot more about it. Yeah, it's a really, it, both the Switch one, because with HD Rumble, it was like 1-2-Switch used it for like a Guess the Marbles game, and yeah. it felt cool, and then Mario Odyssey in one level let you feel where the rocks were passing by him, and then right. pretty much it went away, and then the on the Xbox One, we had those Rumble triggers that were yeah. supposed to be a deal, and then pretty much just Forza used them to any yeah. like notable degree. I and think Forza, Forza Horizon was like the only game that I ever was like, wow, this is really taking advantage of this in that entire like history of that. Yeah. And, and so it's this weird thing where like, this is so ingrained. It's literally part of the name, the dual sense to let you sense your games. And it, it right. is something that I do think they need to really push, especially before launch in this, you know, and granted we are at this weird, um, disadvantage because we can't all go to events where a hundred people would be able to try it on at hands on at once. And so I get why they would only maybe want to send it to Keeley's house and only know one person has their hands on the dual sense, but it's just, it's just so funny because the last time we saw uh, Sony at any kind of like summer of gaming affair was E3 in 20. Why is 18? my brain? 18. 18, 18, 18. 18. 
Um, and time has lost all meaning. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that particular showcase was so extravagant. In fact, it was too extravagant. It was way too extravagant for, for people who were there. It was way too extravagant for people watching it. Uh, it was just, you know, it, it, it was such a, so much money and, and, and intent went into that. Uh, whereas this is just like, oh, Jeff Keighley will, you know, talk about the, the, the new controller. The controller of the PlayStation 5. Like, it's just, you know, it's just apples and oranges. Like, it's so, it's changed so much their approach to, to marketing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I think a middle ground would have gone some way in this, in this instance. Yeah. And it, it's going to be really interesting because, like, as Tom was saying, um, especially with the HD Rumble, that kind of just disappeared. But this is supposed to be a key selling point for the PS5. And so, um, you know, like on the show, we have the Bucks Next devs talking about it. Uh, on the site, we have the De Death Loop devs talking about it. And all of them sound really excited by the prospect of the dual sense. Like, they all talk excitedly about, yeah, getting to let you know, like, the different terrain you're on or the feedback of the way the gun handles in Deathloop or all these different things. It sounds really cool, but it is one of those, like, it's going to really matter, one, what it feels like once we all have our hands on it, and two, if devs continue to support that feature or if it kind of goes the way of the six-axis motion control and then they do a quick change and then it's the DualShock 5 comes out in a year and we forget about the DualSense. It's it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, I, I do want to mention though there was a, at least a little bit of news that came uh, in addition to Keeley's hands-on and getting to see some of uh, Astro Playroom, Astro's Playroom uh, footage. He was uh, speaking to Eric Lempel, the worldwide marketing head at Sony, um, because early last week out of nowhere, everyone suddenly had decided on the internet that we were going to find out about PS5 pre-orders that day, and then that <laughs> never happened. Um, and on the stream, Lempel was talking sort of about how he was in a meeting and he was getting calls from people saying, hey, we have reports that people are lining up at some stores, which don't go line up at the store right now, but they're lining up at stores, you know, waiting to go buy PS5s and pre-order them. And Sony never put out any word. And so Lempel essentially said, we're not going to surprise you with PS5 pre-orders. This is not something that's just going to, you know, go up at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday and good luck if you happen to get one. They said they are going to let people know, give people enough time to prepare. Um, and I don't know how you both felt, but it's just, it, it's so interesting to me because right now I think, and, you know, we saw this a little bit with the lead up the end the reaction to the nintendo direct mini even a couple days ago like people are just so hungry for any scrap of information uh especially in the lead up to these new consoles on the ps5 and xbox series x sign that i think like the slightest hint that we're going to get news just sends everyone into a fever pitch of oh we must be getting news because someone said we're getting news um but i do think it's nice that they're saying we'll let you know when that happens but it's just one of those like we're a few months away. When is it going to happen? Well, also, yeah. like, what are you going to do? You're going to let Amazon announce the price of the PS5? Like, that, yeah. that was the thing that was, like, hilarious to me about all that was the implication that the pre-order link would go live without us knowing it was like, oh, then the price is just going to be announced by retailers? Like, that that doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, I, I think it... I understand that sort of, like, hype of, like, just wanting any sort of nugget. But, yeah, the I'm glad that they are being explicit in a way that frankly a corporation does not need to be explicit by just saying hey we're not going to do that <laughs> we are going to tell you before we put pre-orders live is is very reassuring it's very welcome from them yeah especially just because right now everything's just so confusing in the world <laughs> as it stands <laughs> and like transparency around something like this you know that people are genuinely looking forward to in a year that is basically just hell on earth 
is is really important. So I'm pleased that we're going to find out. I'm pleased that it can be a thing that we look forward to, and I'm pleased that people can be prepared. Yeah, it, especially because it is going to be you know a big monetary investment and. Uh, a large part of this year being hell on earth is the fact that a lot of people are in financial dire straits. And so Absolutely. for those who, who are looking forward to buying this or trying to figure that out, um, it, it is interesting because I guess the only, you know, we're only a few months out from the presumed holiday 2020 launch. Uh, you know, a lot of people are guessing November. So that leaves us only a few months. I like the only console i can remember having such an uh, a quick turnaround from being able to purchase it to when it was available was the switch when they had that you know january reveal and then it came out in uh the beginning of march uh mm -hmm. a couple of years ago i i feel like and i could be just misremembering but i feel like we usually knew about consoles and were able to buy them and put money down a little bit earlier than this yeah and again like it, it is surprising uh that we we haven't been told by now considering exactly what you said before don't know that it's a tough year for people financially uh far tougher than 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 most years uh and we should be told how much we need to put aside how much we need to start saving especially you know if it if it is a struggle for you to save uh it'd be great to know sooner rather than later um how much you know <laughs> this thing is going to cost because it is going to is going to be pricey yeah, it's a it's a strange time for all of that. Like it's uh, other than the switch, it just reminds me kind of of like Apple, where they show off an iPhone and then it's uh, available for pre-order the day after, and then it comes on sale two weeks later. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a very strange turnaround, and you know, people are used to that buying habit, but they're not used to it when it comes to consoles. And so I am very curious to see how the launch of these things is going to go, especially because there was a report uh, end of last week that Sony is reportedly uh, increasing manufacturing production for the PS5 uh, so much so that it would be uh, several million more would be available by the end of Q1 2020 than there were of the PS4, which to me says that they are confident in what they're making and presumably the price point if they think that can sell uh, during yeah. all this time. I mean, the, the confidence in that it will sell doesn't surprise me, but definitely, like, the, 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 I guess the, there's so much uncertainty, right, right now with everything, like, anything can just, like, it feels like in this year, anything at the drop of a hat can just be like, oh, this unexpected thing happened, and now X, Y, and Z is impacted, and so, like, I, I don't blame them if there is a strategy of like delaying that reveal a little bit longer, a little bit closer to release so that they can really make sure that they have their ducks in a row before we like, before they put it all down on ink, in ink, you know, that I, whether they're doing that or not, I'm not sure, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was a motivator of it. And of course, another big motivator is Xbox hasn't gone yet. And right. this this year, this whole console lead up has very much been a. Are you going to do it? Are are we? Who like yeah. who who goes first? It is uh, amazing how much it's like who's going to blink first has been like the talking point of this uh, generation's lead up. But you Which know, I don't, I don't think that's a surprise. Or like, I mean, last year it didn't. It or sorry, last generation it didn't happen because they were offset a year, right? But the gen uh, the, the gen before that. 
Sorry, yeah, the gen before that. Yeah. They, I know there was an offset year, and then they were lined up year. Right, the switch was okay. There we go. That now I'm yeah. weird. The, <laughs> the, year, the generation before that was like it wasn't really a talking point, but I feel like last gen there was also a little bit of that of who's going to blink first in terms of price. Like I feel like that is always the thing because hardware decisions have to be made so much earlier. You can't really wait for somebody to be like, "Well, we've got twelve teraflops," and then be like, "Ha, we got 13. You know, like you can't physically do that but you there is wiggle room to do that with price and so it becomes very important to say like okay let's actually see how we're positioning ourselves against the competition here and man that is a scary game to play but it's one i understand (laughs) yeah and and as opposed to you know the e3 where that happened with the ps4 and xbox one where it's literally a 72 hour turnaround it's now whenever they feel like it because there there are no limitations for when they have to have a conference you know like this this showcase for xbox is happening a month and a week after the playstation conference happened and presumably if playstation goes next it'll probably be at least another month before that so it's this very weird like each of them is taking their measured time to see how the other reacts. Uh, yep. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that as long as they can possibly let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of sort of the, the strange trickle of information where, you know, things can come out of nowhere. We did get uh, yesterday morning, a tweet from insomniac games to drill down to a more specific case. Uh, insomniac confirmed that, Miles Morales, Spider-Man Miles Morales on PS5 will have a four, an optional 4K 60 frames per second performance mode. Uh, and if you especially have been playing on PS4, a big thing this generation has been a sort of performance versus resolution mode where you're often choosing whether or not to go for a locked frame rate uh, with probably a lowered resolution or a higher resolution, but a possibly varied frame rate. Um, that has been sort of like the big choice you often have to make, especially with the biggest first and third party releases. Um, And, you know, for this next generation, especially because the PS4 Pro was doing that upscaling 4K, we've been told 4K is going to be a very big selling point for the PS4, the PS5, excuse me. And uh, even 8K is supposed to come at some point for this gen. But Shut um, up. Shut up with 8K, Sony. 8K is coming in a decade. Um, But no, I, I guess what strikes me about this tweet is the them saying it is an optional 4k 60 mode because to me 4k 60 is the the thing they're going to be reaching for like that is the the you know the goal so what is what is that mode giving up as a result of hitting 4k 60 i guess well i mean Uh, you know ray tracing is the obvious answer right like that's what everyone has been talking about that they would that that ray tracing would be a feature in the 30 uh, frames per second but not in the 60 um i think an interesting announcement from Insomniac and Sony because uh, I think that Xbox is, is is boasting power and 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 60 frames per second is going to be something that we're going to hear a lot from from that side of things. Uh, and I think there's been a lot of chatter about PlayStation Five, sort of maybe not. That's not the the, the benchmark. That you know maybe it is it is 30, 30 frames per second. It's still going to be the the standard. And you know Digital Foundry has been doing a lot of uh, Work on this and and talking about what you substitute one or the other, right? Um, so I think that knowing that that you can play in sixty frames per second uh, for a launch title is is kind of a little bit of a little bit of a PR move. Like, hey, this is this is a thing that this console can do. Like, it's not you know it's not locked at thirty frames per second. It can. It's it's a powerful console. Uh, 
but yeah, it is still a, 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 a game sort of li- that is based on a, a PlayStation 4 game. They haven't up pulled the entire thing, right? It's going to feel more like an extension of the original uh, Spider-Man game on the PlayStation 4. Uh, so it's it's not entirely surprising to me that it's optional. Um, but uh, yeah, it feels like a little bit of a PR move, I think, in terms of timing. Well, and especially for a game where, uh, you know, it had that forced error of a, you know, introduction with the Sony European exec talking about whether or not it was an expansion. Uh, And that whole 48-hour PR cycle where they had to quickly, you know, address all of that. uh, It's definitely something where I think they, you know, they have something that people so loved with the original Spider-Man. And it's like, how do you, you... it's hard to mess that up, but it felt like that initial step was. And so this feels like a way to, you know, continue the trend of here's what you want from this game. We're trying to deliver on what you want from it. It's going to be a proper new PS5 Spider-Man experience. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I just am still so shocked that, you know, we're getting this game this fall and we have the the two minute cinematic trailer and that's about it right now. Um and Spider-Man was so big for them. So I'm I'm hoping we do get to see a continued rollout in the next few weeks and months. Tom, uh, as someone who's probably, I guess, a little bit more tech savvy than me, um, <laughs> I would say- Not me though, on, I'm the, I'm no, the, not, the yeah. tech genius. I mean, Lucy, team. if you knew the dumb tech questions I have asked Tom over the months, <laughs> he, can, he can attest to this. Like I've I've been the person who has helped people with some tech around the IGN audience, the offices sometimes. And then the things I've asked Tom make me look like just the hundred year old grandpa that I secretly am. <laughs> um, but I, I, I guess, you know, like as we get into this next generation, I, an interesting thing that we've seen, cause it doesn't matter to me as much, but like 4k 60 is a thing that the IGN audience like really does care about these consoles hitting as we mm-hmm. get into next gen. So do you feel like this is something that at least at the, the interim, we're going to be seeing maybe on the PS5 side, cause there is that, uh, connotation that it is less powerful um, overall. Do you do you think we're going to be seeing them trying to push like, don't worry, these games will still perform very well. It's going to feel next gen. Do you feel like that's going to have to be a large part of their push? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things we're definitely going to see more of is essentially an expansion of this idea of like performance modes, right? Like we got a, we only really started getting that as a concept with the mid-generation consoles like the PS4 Pro, right? Where suddenly it was, oh, you can actually choose between these two things. And I don't think it's going to be, I, I don't think we should be at all surprised to see a lot more games adapting that next next console generation, like m- more in a widespread way, especially because, you know, on, on the Microsoft side of things, they're just sort of merging Xbox and PC and PC games have had these sort of graphics options constantly for a, a long, you know, forever. Um, so now that we have a little bit more control, I think that we're definitely going to start seeing that. The, the way they market it is is a little bit of an interesting question because, you, you know, game it's not like games and developers have ever not done the practice of like, or really, honestly, I'm not even going to throw developers under the bus. It's any industry ever has not been like, it's capable of up to 4K60, right? Like every every industry ever does that, right? It's the reason everything is priced at $59.99 instead of $60 so that they can say under $60, right? Like it's these deceptive little things that are sort of like the white lies of capitalism to be put it bluntly. <laughs> um, but like... 
the thing that I'm interested in seeing is how kind of in depth they decide to go with these things because you know PC set graphic settings have proved you can tweak all sorts of stuff, right? Like I'm really interested what this turns off because I played PC games where I will not get 60 FPS on my PC and then I'll turn the shadows down from ultra to high and suddenly I'm getting 60 FPS, right? So like a lot of these performance tweaks could end up being a lot smaller or not not as noticeable as we think they're going to be. Or it could be ray tracing where it's going to be very noticeable because ray tracing is such a kind of enormous step up. But either way, I do hope we see more of this sort of customization and adaptability going forward because I think it only helps people, right? Like it only, you you just, you don't need to like choose between what do you want 30 FPS or, or like you don't usually get the choice between like, oh, do you want higher frame rate or higher graphics or this or that or that? And it's like, why not? Like, let's just give that power to people more. <laughs> if it's important yeah. you, From as, as a As a PC gamer, do you hear us console farmers what i don't even know what the term is when we talk about numbers like this do you sort of like laugh from on high like your no. monocle falls out into your <laughs> well the, the 60 <laughs> FPS, whiskey yeah the 60 fps thing is is very funny because like 30 <laughs> fps has like been unacceptable in pc gaming for a half decade right like 30 fps has been abandoned a long long time ago and largely the community of PC gamers would always choose FPS over all the graphic settings being maxed. So I don't think that's a thing that's like only console or only PC people in terms of mindset. The But the, the part I don't like laugh at is like, and I think the part that I think if you don't have experience tweaking graphic settings on a PC, you might not fully grasp is how insanely hard 4K is to render, right? Mm-hmm. You need a high-end PC even today to get 4K 60 FPS max settings on a good-looking game. You need a really good PC to do that, right? So when I see something like PlayStation 5 being like, we're targeting 4K 30 as our stable thing, and some games will be able to do 60, maybe if you tweak some settings, I'm like, yeah, that's understandable, right? Like, I right. I I get that because I've tried to get a game running at 4K 60 FPS stable on max settings and you need a really, really strong rig to do it. So like, I, I think that people underestimate the jump from 1080 to 4K and it is significant and it's not just the type of thing that you can do like, okay, everything's going to be 4K and all the frame rates are going to go up. Like that is a, it's not that simple. Um, so no, I don't, I don't like look down on it at all. <laughs> uh, well, before we head back out to the console farms, uh, I, I do need to ask. Um, <laughs> work on the um, console farms. Uh, a, a hard day at work and the, the blazing sun and the, the loud exhaust fans of those console farms. These are your words. I'm not saying any um, of this. I know. <laughs> uh, Tom, Tom, I do need to ask. Wailing away. <laughs> could... <laughs> Henry Cavill's PC run 4K60. Uh, I've been on vacation, so I didn't even look at his PC. Oh, man, Tom, what are you doing? I know. Probably. Well, also, real talk, no one was looking at the PC. So uh, you're, you're fine. But, um, yeah, it, it's very interesting to have, you know, for me as someone who, like, couldn't care less about the frame rate as long as it, like, runs well. Like, I right. always choose the resolution mode on my PS4 Pro. Like, I always want... 
God of War or Ghost or Last of Us, whatever, to look as pretty as possible. And if there's a couple dropped frames, I'm not like, I'm not playing a multiplayer game in that case. So for me, it doesn't bother me if there's a little bit of a slight, you know, hiccup every now and then. Totally. Um, yeah, and I, then you have you have the other end of the, the side of the coin, right? Which is like Counter Strike, professional Counter Strike players who play with, or Overwatch players who play with every setting at the absolute bare minimum, so that it can run it on their two hundred and forty hertz monitor, right? Like the, it's it's different strokes, and and I'm that's what I was saying is like I just want to see options because yeah, it's just is only a good thing if you give people options and how they want to play and what they want to prioritize. Absolutely. Uh, and before we sort of move off the, the PS5 side of things, uh, Tom and Lucy, I do need to ask. I started a um, perhaps worrying uh, debate last week on the show where we were talking about whether or not you're going to buy the digital or the, the other version of the PS5. And the problem is we realized, particularly as Altano was trying to say it, there's no good way to refer to the like one version as with disc and one version as without disc. Um, you know, you can say disc discless, but that starts to get weird. Uh, whereas the other version would be disc full. Like there's no, there's no good way for this naming convention. And so the only way I could think to say it was, and I need someone to tell me if I'm insane, discs in or discs out <laughs> for PS5. And I need to know which way you both are leaning before we move on from the PS5. Well, anyone who knows me knows I'm a disc thin kind of gal. <laughs> the way you stared straight at the camera as you said that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, thank you both. I needed that. Uh, Tom, any, any last thoughts on disc in versus disc out before we move on? Uh, disc, disc in for the, for the options? For the for the versatility, but I haven't bought a, a I've I've been off the discs for a long time, let's put it that way. And what's great Hey me too. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend got mad at me at how loud I just <laughs> Oh boy. Um I guess um I don't really know how to say it otherwise. Speaking of that the Last of Us Part Two was the number one selling game of June 2020. Uh, it was, I'll, I'll let you think about that one. Uh, it was the uh, fastest selling in terms of monetary dollars, um, first party PS4 game, fastest selling exclusive, uh, save for only Spider-Man, which technically at the time wasn't from a first party studio, but now is the whole thing. <laughs> but anyway, Spider-Man is the only faster selling ps4 exclusive at in its launch month uh for a sony published game uh, of course last of us part two sold over four million copies in its first three days and then had you know another 10 or so days uh, another week in june to sell and obviously it did pretty well uh i do want to talk about that in one second but i i do want to mention one of my favorite things that mpd did for this month uh was mention the fact that of of the top 10 Ring Fit Adventure went from number 835 on the sales chart in May to number seven in June, uh, proving Sony should really get in on the fitness trend before it's too late. Well, I think, uh, that, was, I think that was uh, just to, like real quickly. I think that was even just because it was like completely out of stock in May. Right. So it was just like yeah. the second that game restocked, everyone bought it. <laughs> Yeah, it was the perfect conf confluence of like, it was so hard to find that game for the first few months of Shelter in Place. And then right. immediately had the stock. Because I don't think 
when Nintendo put that out, they really anticipated there would be a need for a lot of in-home exercise for people. Luckily, um, I think that the DualSense also doubles as a Pilates ring, right? So Yes, yeah, you can pull it apart yes. and do those stretches. It's very versatile. Uh, that was in the deluxe edition of Jeff Keighley's stream, if you didn't get to watch that. Right. Um, but I do want to ask, anyone surprised? Uh, you know, obviously there has been, I would say, a tough discussion around the game at times mm -hmm. when it came to um, just how people were receiving this game, both because of leaks, true and not, and just the general, you know, tone of conversation was not, I would say, as positive as probably, you know, many would hope critical reception aside, but I think this obviously, you know, shows there is a bit of a gap when it comes sometimes to the arguments you sometimes see on Twitter versus the general buying populace for a game like this. Yeah, I, I mean, for, for this one, I've always sort of maintained that the the discourse online was pretty exhausting and, and all-encompassing, and it felt for, for those of us who, who work online and, and spend a great deal of time on, on sites like Twitter that are uh, you know, that the discourse was incredibly negative, that people were hating on it, that people weren't going to buy it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's easy to forget that Twitter is that, is that, you know, uh, a friend of mine described it as a filth bubble. Um, and once you get outside of that, uh, people are just carrying on their everyday lives. And of course, The Last of Us was an incredibly successful game back in 2013. And people have, uh, you know, huge brand ties to it. Um, and of course, it was the sequel was going to, sell well and i imagine continue to sell well uh and it deserves to it's a great game it's a fantastic game yeah it's one of those things where i think it, it is very easy to think about you know we work for a site and talk to each other and a lot of other people about games every day but there are so many people you know the last of us one both on ps3 and ps4 combined had sold over i think 14 million copies as of the last tally like it had sold a pretty great amount and it's one of those things where so many of those people who were buying a PS4 early in the days had probably heard this game was very good, bought it, loved it, don't follow games, saw the sequel ads on TV and went to go buy the game. Um, yeah. And there, there is a, a mass audience that comes for a game like this that doesn't really see, as Lucy was saying, that discourse that's happening online necessarily. Um, but uh, I, for one, of course, you know, you may have heard that I liked the game quite a bit. Uh, I'm very happy to see it at the top of the charts and I'm very excited to see uh, sort of continued success uh, and, you know, very, very, very happy for that game doing so well and uh, for that team, because obviously it was a very clear labor of love. And one of my favorite things, I think, has been seeing the Naughty Dog team as a whole start to, like, talk really, really in depth about every little small bit of the game on Twitter. I would say that's been probably the best part of the Twitter discourse is seeing like, here's how the sound of the glass came to be. And it's like an amazing 15 tweet thread from one of the designers about how they perfectly got the, gl the glass to both be dynamic, but also realistic, but also work all the time. Uh, it's, it's such a fun part of the process to see. Yeah, and it must be so cathartic for them <laughs> as well, having been under that embargo uh you know with the leaks happening at the time uh they really just couldn't say anything uh it must have been an unbearable situation for them to be in and now obviously the game is out where we're a few weeks out from the the, the most toxic discourse and and people are actually just starting to talk about it and uh, and, and talk about it critically but uh, but talk about it in this very minute way because it's a game with so many moving parts uh, so, yeah, I can just imagine that must be an incredibly cathartic experience having been silent for so long. Yeah, <laughs> for years to yeah. yeah finally be able to say, here's what we are doing and be uh, 
understandably quite proud of that. It has been really fun to see and just kudos to that whole team again for a, a great game that Tom, when his arms work better, will be able to play. And um, I, I do want to keep moving on because there is a little bit more uh, news left to cover this week. The, the first thing I want to mention uh, of the last few stories is, uh, you know, I feel like Tom, last time I think we had you on the show, we were talking about uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two development. And here we are talking about it again, because uh, the last time we talked about it, apparently the development had been delayed. It was impacted and it was going to be slower and not in 100% capacity. I guess it's at 100% capacity now, because according to a new interview in Famitsu, we got word via some translation that the next installment is in full development. Um, they can't really say much more about it at this point, but... Uh, that game's coming at some point in the future. We've been told by uh, Tatsuya Nomura and other people on the team when they've given interviews that they hope the next follow-ups to Remake Part 1 will come at a quicker pace than from the reveal of that game to its final release. But, um, I, you know, hearing that it's in full development, I don't know what that means compared to a week ago. Right. We were told that Im- development was impacted, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, both could be true, right? Like, it could have yes, been impacted yeah. and then just, like, they sorted it out, I guess. Which is good. It's just, once again, I think I said this exact same thing last time, is a, a delay of a thing that doesn't have a date is useless to me, right? And in the same way, like, an undelay of a thing that doesn't have a date is also useless to me. Like, until we know more about what timeline they're even thinking of, hearing it's in full development is, like, good. Good for them. I hope they are progressing well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, and saying, you know, we want the game to be out as soon as possible is also kind of non-information. Right. <laughs> because, you know, really, uh, you do want your, your game to be out as soon as possible if it's in, you know, as long as it's in good shape, right? The part, the part we're looking for is the what's possible part. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully, though, this one, because uh, Remake pretty famously did switch development teams mid-cycle and so that obviously led to a bit of the delay with it seemingly just being the same team continuing on hopefully that you know allows them things to be a bit smoother uh we also did get a little information uh about remake part one including that uh roche was supposed to have a battle in chapter 14 uh to which tom slacked me earlier that in all caps no duh i i won't get into spoilers for that game yeah I will say I have I've already talked a lot if you would listen to the spoiler cast of Final Fantasy 7 remake from from us that like man that dude's character was pointless. <laughs> yeah. So to hear he had cut content it's like oh yeah that tracks. I believe it. Sure. Um I would not be surprised if we get uh especially given Nomura's work on the Kingdom Hearts franchise if we do somehow get a it, especially particularly if remake part 2 takes a while to come out if we get a like dr- director's cut of part 1. Oh man. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we do get the final mix versions of Kingdom Hearts, so it wouldn't shock me if we get that. Um, but the other uh, piece of information that at least has come out so far from this, it's a 15 page interview, so presumably there's more. But uh, the other piece of information was they couldn't go further with the Madame M massage scene, otherwise, ratings would go up. So that and just I, like straight up is them saying, like, it, it was a brothel that they couldn't make a brothel, basically. Yeah. Just yeah, like that, that's what that means. <laughs> that basically, this already incredibly, you know, let's say it, horny game, they couldn't make more explicitly horny. <laughs> um, but, you know, 
I still had a very fun time with Final Fantasy VII Remake with what yeah. was in there. Looking forward to part two. I mean, it was I a good level of horny. Yeah, I kind of love that too because that seems oh, yeah. hysterical as is. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, I think if it was just like a sex scene, I would kind of be, it would sort of, like, I wouldn't be remembering it right now. But like, now I remember this like sensual hand massage Cloud got. And I'm like, oh yeah, that scene was kind of hilarious. Yeah, it is. It, it now feels like a parody of what that scene would have been if right, went right. To yeah, um, which is a a very interesting thing. But speaking of, uh, if not pieces of games, full games that never happened uh, in the wake of Ghost of Tsushima, seemingly uh, alleged footage of a canceled uh, Sucker Punch game has leaked online. This is not something that Sucker Punch has fully owned up to or given. Um, confirmation of necessarily but this seems to have come from an employee's portfolio that has since been taken down but fans were able to essentially rehost a 10 minute vertical slice of a game called prophecy um doesn't seem like this is going to be a game that we're getting anywhere in the future but to give people a little bit of a breakdown it was very clearly a single player cinematic adventure uh followed a protagonist named uh abel uh tavora uh, who seemed to have been an outlaw in their home city that was overrun by some masked enclave um, that was tearing down the statue of a king in this demo. We see the protagonist essentially running away, getting into a few street fights, but uh, essentially trying to uh, outrun somewhat of a mixture of a medieval and steampunk city. Uh, obviously, this is not something that they ended up going with. They ended up going with Ghost of Tsushima. I don't know if either of you got a chance to check out the footage, but it... it I guess would explain to a certain extent, you know, there was a very large gap in between where Sucker Punch put out uh, Second Sun and First Light at the beginning of this gen and now Ghost at the end of this generation. So it totally makes sense that there was at least one, if not a couple projects that didn't see the light of day. Yeah. Um, I mean, but... this ma this makes sense. Like, you know, games are, are sort of put into soft development and, and then and then killed all the time, you know, far more often than we we think. Uh, I remember the one time I was working on a game uh, back in, in 2010, that, that terrible car combat game that I co-wrote the script for. Um, and, you know, we were just told, oh, it's probably going to get cancelled. And I remember asking at the time, like, uh, is, this, is this normal? And they were like, oh, yeah, 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 totally, totally normal. <laughs> and this was, you know, for the PlayStation the 3 and the, the, the you know, Xbox 360. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, an indie game. It was a, a, a studio game by Activision. Um, and yeah, these things are, are, are sort of developed and, and they get to a certain point and they're killed. And it's, yeah, it, it doesn't really necessarily mean that this was the game that never was. It's just sometimes it gets so far in development and, and, and then it's, it's killed. I can only imagine how devastating and uncertain that makes the life of a developer. Um, you know, highs and lows, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, yeah, generally, the the rule of thumb I think you should consider is that for every game you hear about that got canceled, you probably heard about at least six, you probably, at least six more you didn't hear about, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, this is not, every time I hear about a canceled game, I think it's a really, really cool little insight into, like, what that development studio was working on, what they were thinking about, how that maybe influenced future things. But I never take it as like, oh, we never got this, like Lucy yeah. said, right? Like it's, it, we were never going to get it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And there's often, you know, some work, some stuff just does get scrapped entirely, but sometimes some work done for projects gets transferred over to the game that eventually does come right. out. Um, right. Whether it's, just, you know, development research on the back end or like actual gameplay ideas that you see in the gameplay or character designs. One thing that really stood out to me was at the beginning of this, 
Um, and maybe it's just because, you know, I've been playing so much Ghost recently, but it very clearly all of the characters have very distinct either masks or like facial bandanas uh, covering either the bottom half or the top half of their faces. And given that Ghost has all of these collectible masks and bandanas mm. and headbands, I was like, oh, maybe some of the character design kind of seeped through, even though it's a different like cultural focus and a different setting and all of that stuff. It's like you can kind of see some character work that translated through. Yeah. Um, which again, like you both were saying, it doesn't, you know, it, it can be equal parts gutting, but also very seemingly kind of part of how this business just operates day to day. Um, which is a strange thing, but I always do love when we get to see things from the light of day, especially when it's official. So hopefully, um, some of the devs may be able to talk about this stuff after ghost has been out for a little while. Uh, anyway, that, that pretty much all wraps up the big news of this week. I did want to briefly mention, Overcooked is coming to PS5. I don't have much news about that, but I love Overcooked. Yeah. Can't wait to play it on PS5. <laughs> Tom, yeah. did you see the comparison screenshots? No. I don't I have them that. to I don't have them to pull up, but they uh they rebuilt Overcooked 1 in the Overcooked 2 engine and then of course are putting everything in 4K remaster. So there's these shots where it's like a barren jungle landscape around the kitchen and then it looks like, "Oh, I wasn't that the game all along this incredibly detailed looking setting." Yeah. It's like, "Nope, that's just what my brain thought it was." Um, yeah. Which is nice to see that we're already at that point when it comes to next gen because of uh, remasters and remakes that we're getting. But uh, <laughs> I love that game. It's one of my favorite like couch co-op multiplayer games. So I'm excited to see it make the jump to next gen as well. Um, that pretty much wraps up all the news for the week. I do want to briefly mention, and it's something that I don't know if we have enough time to um, mention, but I do think it's worth it, especially because we talked about it so much on the show last week. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, the big Ubisoft releases last week, and there is, and forgive me, guys, I didn't put this up on the run of the show, but it was something I was, you know, obviously thinking about all day. Uh, there was the big report from Schreier at Bloomberg uh, really delving into sort of all the behind the scenes, um, just awful things that have been committed by a lot of people uh, at Ubisoft, you know, in executive roles, um, harassment, and all these allegations that we're seeing come to light that have been, you know, coming out in the week's prior to Ubisoft Forward, but are continuing to be such a big part of that company's focus right now. Um, and it's, I, I just, you know, wanted to bring it up one to say, like, I, I think there's so much there that it would probably be almost too complex to dive into really far, but it's safe to say that like all of our hearts and our thoughts are with the people who have been affected um, by the harassment, by the abuse that's been faced there. You know, there are hundreds and thousands of people who work on these individual Ubisoft games sometimes. And so there are so many hardworking people there who are trying to make a great game they believe in. And it's awful to see that work mired by the terrible behaviors of quite a few unfortunate people at the the companies. But um, I, I I think we're all very um impressed and respectful of all of the people who are coming forward and speaking about these topics as they have been uh and it's, yeah no abso absolutely like it is it's 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 so sad um but it's it's really important we're seeing a we've we've seen you know these these moments in the industry before but this one feels uh particularly significant uh it, it you know there will be another moment happening again like this uh i just really hope that that the people coming forward will ultimately end up uh, helping real change uh, happen in this industry because right now it, it does feel very uh, like there needs to be some massive changes. Um, so I hope that that happens and yeah, and we will continue to cover that stuff from our end as well. Uh, 
Joe Scrabbles and I actually from the, the UK team are, are, are writing a big piece on the, um, you know, the future of the industry post this particular moment in time. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's hope. Uh, but yeah, I, again, just to echo you, Dono, I think that like it's, it's, it's our hearts go out and, uh, you know, admire your bravery and your strength. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely something, and I, I think we've said this on the show before, um, and it's something we can always be better about, but we talked about it when it came even to, you know, the crunch stories that were coming up, especially around Red Dead. But uh, it's on us as part of the industry to continue shining a spotlight on this stuff and making sure it stays in the conversation because that change is amazing to see happen. We have already seen some changes uh, at the Ubisoft structural level, but, you know, long-lasting important change will only keep happening if we keep a spotlight on this stuff and don't let it be forgotten. Uh, and so we'll, we'll we'll definitely be talking about this stuff in larger detail, I think, in, in the weeks and months to come uh, and definitely keep an eye out for, you know, as Lucy had mentioned, the coverage she and Joe are working on and uh, we'll continue to cover that stuff here uh, as we go on. Uh, before we wrap up the show, though, I do briefly want to mention, uh, Tom, I, I, I had put in the run of show that we weren't going to talk about what we're playing this week because we've all been very busy and we talked about uh, Ghost of Tsushima on the spoiler-free show last week. But Tom, you platinumed a very important game, and so I wanted to give you a couple minutes to talk about platinuming Persona 5 Royal. How was it? Because I uh, haven't gotten there yet. You platinumed was... Persona 5 Royal? You maniac! Platinumed it, I will say. <laughs> oh, and I love you. Anybody else who's done this, it's a surprisingly simple platinum. Like, it's, oh. it's not like, it's not impossible, it's not like, crazy easy but like having beaten the first game or the original game already like if you're if you know what to do to kind of max out that game you'll know how to platinum this pretty easily um which i was kind of surprised about like i wasn't going for the platinum and then i ended up uh i think it was like two weeks of the game left and i looked at my trophies and i was like oh, I could do this. Like, okay. And then, then I just made it happen. But yeah, it took me like 139 hours to finish that game and do the Platinum. Uh, it was an absolute joy. I did not think I was going to finish that game once, let alone twice. So <laughs> it's very cool. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I just love that game. <laughs> I just love Persona yeah. 5. It's, I, I really need to get back to it. It's one of those like, oh, I was going to get back to it. And then I did the review for Last of Us and then Ghost came out. And now it's like, okay, we have a little bit of a lull before like this crazy fall happens. Maybe now's the time to get back to it. Uh, I do have to say, you now need to go and platinum it in Japanese, much like Andrew did with the original Persona. <laughs> uh, I'll pass. I was going to start up Persona 4 Golden though. That's fair. That's a, that's also a good option. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm always impressed and a little scared by Andrew's commitment to those Platinums uh, back in the day when there wasn't a guide and he was making his way through that game, not understanding Japanese uh, and still managed to beat it. So good, good on him. But, He's a uh, madman. Yeah, hopefully I can join you in that Platinum Club soon enough. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, I did want to just briefly ask if uh, any of you uh, have anything that you're working on currently that you want to plug, that you want to you know, point people to on IGN or elsewhere. Uh, Lucy, I'll start with you. Oh, uh, well, aside from the usual feature content uh, written by our lovely staff and freelancers, I uh, did have the opportunity to interview the Ghostwire team at Tango Studios. Um, check that interview out. It's not like the juiciest interview. Uh, often, you know, when you're emailing 
questions, especially when they're sort of answered in a different language, uh, they go through several sets of eyes and sometimes the answers that come back are a little, uh, uh, how, how should we say it, like airbrushed, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Um, but, you know, there were we did get some interesting, like, little details. Uh, for example, Ghostwire is not going to be a horror game. Uh, they're not even thinking of it as a horror game. It's an action adventure. So that's a real departure for Tango. Uh, Shinji Mikami, who's executive producer on Ghostwire, said that he is still very passionate about survival horror as a genre, which is good, which is heartening for me because, you know, there are so very few AAA studios who have that focus. Um, so I... I'm happy to hear that this, they still love horror and there's still going to be elements of, of, of horror in Ghostwire. Uh, anyway, that was like, that was the biggest revelation in my interview. <laughs> but if you're, you know, if you're intrigued to hear anything about Ghostwire, please check it out because, um, yeah, there are, there are some little, little sort of teases in there that, that I think are exciting. And Tom, what about you? You're just back uh, fresh from a break, so I understand. Yeah, back fresh from a break. I, I'll say shout out to our uh, Comic-Con at Home coverage, which we're doing all this week. If you're watching it or listening to this podcast live this week. We're doing lots of Comic-Con stuff and then also keep an eye out for our Gamescom stuff next month. All very exciting. We're doing more and more and more shows after Summer of Gaming because apparently Summer of Gaming will never end and it'll just go on forever and be great. And So I'm looking forward to that and I'm helping out with that. So keep an eye out for that. The summer will soon become the fall of gaming and will uh, only continue into the winter, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the I cold definitely... winter of gaming. The cold winter of gaming. <laughs> uh, as, as the fields of the console farms uh, grow dry, the, the winter of gaming will keep us warm. Uh, I do want to briefly mention... None of that sentence made any sense. That's, I was just saying <laughs> words. What do you want from me? It's Friday. Um, it's not Friday. It's Tuesday. I'm very tired. <laughs> But uh, no, I do also want to definitely mention if you... This is if, how messed up I am, though, is because you said it's Friday, and I was like, is it? Wait. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention uh, sort of a, a sister piece, if you uh, will, to the Ghostwire Tokyo interview. We also interviewed another Bethesda-published PS5 launch-exclusive uh, Deathloop. Uh, Matt Perslow out of our IGN UK team spoke to the uh, art and creative director of that game. They spoke a little bit more about like what the game actually is, how it both like is and isn't like a roguelike. Tom, you might be interested. A lot of the things they were saying really reminded me of basically the Outer Wilds, or uh, Outer Wilds, excuse me, though. The, uh, but they talked a lot about that, uh, a bit about using the dual sense, what they're doing on PS5. So definitely go check out that interview and also uh, check out all of our IGN first coverage this month. Uh, I'm covering Marvel's Avengers and we have some really exciting stuff coming up in the last few drops for that. So look forward to that uh, later this month. But otherwise, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this episode of Podcast Beyond. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you for watching or listening. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you to John, our producer. I never call you John, so that was very weird for me to say. Thank you to Borba. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you all so much. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond. Oh, we're playing chicken. Beyond. <laughs> beyond. <laughs>